0: But, uh, you know, fall's right around the corner. And uh, we're already starting to plan for fall. Uh, I know an alpha is going to be starting up in September again. Uh, small groups are starting up in September again. Um, and and we're, we're beginning to gear up. But, but for the summer, we spent some time this summer uh, just talking about what it would look to restart. Coming out of COVID, how do we restart church? How do we restart our faith? How do we restart our walk after uh, a couple of years of, of uh, difficulties and challenges. And we talked about uh, the idea of building a rhythm in our life, building habits in our life, uh, things that we do day in and day out, just that are regular, that help us build in our, in our walk with Christ, that help us uh, in our life. And, and we used an example a while back of exercise. How, once you get in the habit of doing exercise, once you get things happening in a regular pace, it becomes easier. Just stuff you do, stuff you do normally. Uh, you know, professional athletes do the exact same thing, except they call it by another name. They call it practice. They practice quite a bit. I remember uh, when my kids were younger, I used to coach soccer. And the kids always wanted just to line up in front of the soccer goal and just kick balls into the goal. If that's all they could do the whole practice, they'd be happy with that, right? But the problem was, is that didn't build up the skill set they needed to compete in the game, in the games that they played. It didn't build up what they needed to do Uh, to become better. And so we would have to do things like, you know, passing drills. We're just passing back and forth and dribbling drills and how to properly receive the ball and things like that. And it was stuff that the kids hated to do. I mean, it's boring just to sit there and pass the ball back and forth. But it's something that builds a skill set so that when you're playing the game, you, you improve. There's, there's an interesting uh, video that I kind of stumbled across with, with Michael Jordan. If you don't know, if you're not old enough to remember who he was, um, he used to play for the Bulls back when they were good. And uh, to some of us, he's probably the greatest basketball player of all time. But there's an interesting video where he talks about practice and what practice meant to him. And if we're lucky this week, we'll be able to watch it well. So hit it, Nathan. Nathan. I don't know if you caught that quote, he said. But he said, I practice as if I'm playing the game. So when the moment comes in the game, it's not new to me. That's why you practice. So when you get to that moment, you don't have to think. Instinctively, things happen. There's something there. There's something there for us to take into our everyday lives. We need to develop practices in our life. Rhythms. So that when life's issues arise, when we're under spiritual attack, when everything seems to be going wrong, we don't have to think anymore. Those those rhythms, those practices are in our lives, and things just instinctively happen. I I love that picture at the end where he says, "You know, it all began in college." with that shot and it wasn't just accidental it was this picture of building a rhythm building a practice in his life that led to that pinnacle and for many of us that's what we need in our lives we need those rhythms we need those practices so that when things happen around us we're not caught off guard It doesn't feel like like Jesus or God is a million miles away from us that he's present in our lives And so that's what we've been talking about all all summers, all summer. And that's what, uh, when we talked earlier in June about MG3 and now about BLESS, what those are for. Those are the rhythms, the practices in our life. You know, the M, how are you meeting with Jesus today, every day? What are you doing to meet with Him? Taking time uh, to read His Word daily, to pray Daily. The first G, how are you growing in community and in faith this week? What are you doing to grow? As we come together, what are you doing to grow in your faith? How are you studying? The second G, how are you giving back to the community uh, this month? How are you investing your time, your talent, your treasures? How are you serving one another? And then the final G we talked in June was go. Uh, As you go, as you go into the world around you, whom are you blessing? Whom did you bless? And that led us to where we are this month, that picture of, of what does it look to be on mission for God, to actually be living a life where the gospel can pour out of our lives and affect the people around us. And so we started with the first B, and we talked about beginning with prayer, how prayer is integral to whatever we do, however we start. And if you remember, at the end of that sermon, I asked you to just pick three people. Three people who are in your lives who don't know Jesus that you're willing to commit to pray for. And the second letter, L, listen. Learning to listen to them. We are so, so much wanting... To, to talk to people, to tell people, to get our point across. There are moments where we just need to sit back and listen to people. Listen to them. That's how you build relationship. That's how you build trust. Last week, we looked at, at the E. Eat. Eat with people. We talked about the, the, the picture of Jesus who continually, uh, it just seems always to be at parties or dinners or whatever. Most of His teachings happen around food. And how that's a place to build intimacy with your friends, to build trust with your friends, uh, with your family, as you're eating with them. So Today we're going to look at the, at the first S. And that S is serve. How are we serving our neighbors? How are we serving the people around us? Matthew chapter 20 has a really interesting story. It's right before uh, Palm Sunday. Jesus' disciples have been with Him for for three years now. And things are starting to build up. They can sense it. Things are starting to build up. Uh, In John, it talks about how this is where Lazarus uh, is risen from the dead. So, I mean, things are getting good. And and, and you get a sense that the disciples are starting to try to figure out where they fit in in the midst of this. As Jesus uh, becomes king, as they're anticipating... As he begins to rule, where do they fit in? What are their jobs? What does it look like? And so they're starting to, to kind of position each, uh, themselves to get to a place where they have a good job. James and John come up with this great idea. They want to make sure that when Jesus takes over, they have cushy jobs right next to the top. Jesus is on top of the org chart. They want one and two. They want one. And But they don't want to seem too self-serving about it, right? You know, they're humble guys. So what do they do? They get their mom to ask for them. We see this in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her son, and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. To sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. I love how the story ends. The, the other disciples were indignant. I think that's putting it softly. I think it's putting it really mildly. They weren't, they weren't just upset with them. They were mad. They were mad because these two figured out a way to get ahead of them. And it's just not right. And, and you get the sense that dissension is starting to fill in in the ranks of the disciples. They're coming against each other. They're positioning each other. They're competing with one another. Who's going to get the roles? And something like that, that kind of dissension, that kind of infighting, that can destroy everything that Jesus is trying to accomplish. Everything He's trying to build. It could could just derail all of His plans. So notice what Jesus tells them, starting in verse 25. the life of a disciple, the life of a follower of Christ is the life of a servant. And we've talked about this in in the past. We've been called to serve one another. We've been called to love one another, to serve one another, to bear each other's burdens. And we get that. We get that. Inside the church, we serve one another. Here's an interesting part. We've been called to serve others as well. Even those that we don't like. Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. Starting in verse 27. But you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That's a hard word. That's a hard word. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. We're not called just to love our enemies. We're called to bless our enemies. A speaker that I heard uh, a while back was telling a story. Um, he was a, uh, did a lot of uh, work in the Middle East especially in, uh, in countries that tended to be uh, in the middle of wars. And he was in Iraq at one point. And he told the story about how uh, he pulled up into this Iraqi vi- village and uh, kind of got out, and the chief military guy, whatever that warlord, kind of came out to meet him. And here's this American. And... Uh, he tells them, he goes, this is your lucky day. And he goes, why is this my lucky day? He goes, because I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And because of that, even though you are my enemy, I have to love you. And I have to bless you. This is your lucky day. Because I'm, gonna, I'm required as a follower of Jesus to bless you even though We are enemies. Think about that. The call for a disciple is to bless. And the best way to bless others is to serve them. Now, I'm not starting this off saying we need to go find our enemies and we're going to go serve our enemies. We've been talking about how can we make a difference with those immediately around us. And, And serving others can be challenging for us. Especially when we start looking outside of the church. We're not used to serving. We prefer being served, don't we? When you go to a restaurant, you don't want to have to get up and go into the kitchen and, and get your food and put it out. You, you, know, you, you definitely don't want to have to wipe your table down. Have you ever had to do that? You go to a restaurant the table's kind of sticky, so you wipe your own table down. That That kind of puts a bad taste in your mouth, doesn't it? We prefer being served. But for us to be a blessing to those around us, and for us to see the kingdom and the gospel advance in our friends, in our family, in our community around us, we need to learn how to serve them. To serve those people around us in the way that Jesus did. There's a great story in Mark chapter 7 that can really help us learn how to serve like Jesus did. And so for the rest of the day, we're going to spend our time in Mark. Starting in uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 31. The story goes like this. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of Decapolis. There some people who brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ear. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, an Aramaic word that I'm not even going to try to pronounce, which means be open. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now this just seems like another miracle story. This is one of those stories that we get a kick out of, I know, when we teach about healing. We talk about how sometimes God heals in unorthodox ways but don't necessarily start by spitting into the person's mouth and you know, sticking your finger in their ear and hoping for the best. Um, you know, that's how we tend to look at these, right? It's just another of, of, of many, many miracle stories. And while it is, uh, in it we can see three important lessons for us on how we can serve others. Now the first lesson is about pro- um, proximity. Notice uh, where Jesus served or whom he served. He served the people who were in front of him, in close proximity. Now that seems like common sense, but too often for many of us, when we talk about serving, we want to do something big and bold, right? We're going to go serve. Years ago, we were trying to get this idea in the church about doing ministry to the poor. Now, DeKalb's poor, we have them, but but it's a little different than going into the inner city. And so what we decided to do is we were going to gather a bunch of people, and we went on Christmas Eve, because if you're going to serve the poor, you might as well do it on Christmas Eve. And we made a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and some coffee and some other things, and, and we got some toiletries, and we headed to Lower Wacker Drive. Not the new Lower Wacker Drive that's nice and clean, the old Lower Wacker Drive, which was dark and dingy and dirty. And in certain areas of Lower Wacker Drive, Homeless live, especially in the middle of winter. It's covered, it's warmer. And so we sought them out. And we handed them a sandwich, and we gave them some toiletries, and we prayed for them, and we had this awesome, good feeling about ourselves, this awesome high. We loaded back into our vehicles, and we drove back to DeKalb. We didn't make much of a difference, except for a moment. And everybody was excited about it. And we're like, next Christmas Eve, we should do the same thing. We like to serve in places, in, in ways that, that are exciting. You know. Let's go build a well in Ethiopia. That would be awesome. Let's go do something big and bold. We talk about missions trips. When we go to mission trips to Puerto Rico in the winter, people get excited about that. Let's go do ministry in Puerto Rico. But when it comes to our neighbors... When it comes to the people immediately around us, they're not so exciting. Usually, they're kind of annoying. We don't want to necessarily serve them. but But that's where God has placed us. Now now sometimes, God may call us somewhere else. You know, in the case like this, God took Jesus 80 miles away from where he was. But here's the thing. Although he went 80 miles, he served the people immediately in front of him. We're called to the same thing. We're called to serve the people that are in our proximity. And so that would mean your neighbors. That would mean uh, the people who live around you. The places where you work. The places where you play. The places where you hang out. Those are the people that we're supposed to begin with. Now, God may take us somewhere else, but but there's a truth here. When it comes to serving, God has either already sent you to the people you are to serve, or he's going to send you to some other people that you are supposed to serve. But, but either way, without exception, the people who are right in front of you are where you're supposed to start. I work with a lot of church planners. And I hear something repeatedly from people who want to go into ministry, who want to go into the pastorate, and they have this crazy idea that when they get to the place they're supposed to be, all the ministry will start then. So when I get to wherever it is I'm supposed to go, when I get to the mission field, I don't have to do anything here. But it starts here. If you can't do it with your neighbors, if you can't serve and minister to the people around you. God's not going to trust you with the people who are far away. So as we start to serve, the question we need to ask is who is around you now? Those are the people that you're supposed to serve. Now the next lesson that we see uh, how Jesus ministered uh, to the man is this. He did it personally. Notice what it says in verse 33. He took him aside. Jesus took him away from the crowd, from the attention of the crowd. Many of us, we want people to see what we're doing. We want to be noticed when we're serving other people, right? We live a life where we like to be noticed. We take pictures of ourselves saying, look what we're doing. Look, I'm cleaning my neighbor's yard. Isn't that cool? How many likes can I get out of that? We like to be noticed. But Jesus takes this man and and takes him away from that. See, serving others isn't about you. It's about the person you're serving. Mark tells us this man was deaf with a speech impediment. His life didn't begin in, in, in Mark chapter 7. Mind, he's been alive for a significant amount of time, and he's been deaf in dealing with a speech impediment. I don't know if you've ever dealt with someone with a speech impediment, but they talk differently. They talk oddly. I guarantee you, as a kid, the other kids didn't appreciate his differences. They ridiculed him. And the people around him didn't appreciate his differences. They ridiculed him for it. And so for his entire life, he has been the center of attention being ridiculed. Being looked down upon. Every time he tries to speak, his disability draws attention to him. I spent years working with my wife on a a thing in town called the Penguin Project. It was musical theater for kids with disabilities. Anywhere from physical disabilities to to intellectual disabilities. We had kids who couldn't speak, who were wheelchair bound, and and we gave them an opportunity to do theater, to experience something different with other uh, kids who had similar issues. If you ever get a chance to see one of these, it's incredible. It'll bring a tear to your eye. Because here's the thing, for for many of those kids, their lives are centered around their disability. They're known for their disability. It's the, it becomes their identity. It's the only thing people focus on. But these kids don't want to be known for their disability. They want to be known for who they are. Not what they can't do. And so Jesus takes this man and he takes him away from the public eye and serves him in a way where he doesn't become a spectacle. He keeps this man's dignity intact. When we serve people, it's not about us. It's not about increasing our social status or us getting notches in our belt or demonstrating our gifting because no one wants to be your project. No one wants to be your project. And if you go and minister to your neighbors as they're your project, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well at all. We serve not because of what we get out of it. We serve because Jesus served and we are trying to be obedient to what He has done. When we say we want to be more like Jesus, that means we do things the way He did it. We do uh, ministry time usually after church where we invite people to come up and give prayer. And um, we we like to train our ministry team. and And some of the things we tell them is really important. One of them is is honor the person you're praying, guard their dignity. Guard their dignity, and we talk about little things, you know. Things that we forget about in the moment. You know, if if a woman is is you know slain in the spirit, lying on the ground, maybe go find a blanket, make sure that you know she's dignity is, is covered. You know, if something weird has happened, maybe take them somewhere else so it doesn't become a show. Because the person is more important than, than whatever we're trying to do. And that's something you learn in Jesus' ministry. The person was more important than almost anything else. It needs to be the same thing. Now I want to wrap this up by noticing one other lesson here. It's something that should go unsaid for us, but it's something that we need to remember. Jesus served those in his proximity, he served them personally, but when he served, he served with God's power. And we have access to the exact same power. When we think about serving, we tend to like think about it of one of two things. If we call serving ministry, then we think about, you know, power stuff, right? You know, if you're not feeling well, if you're sick, come forward. We're going to pray for the sick. We're going to pray for healing. and that's. It. But when we talk about serving, it's like we leave the power here, and now we're going to talk about good deeds. Oh, you need food? Okay, well that's just practical stuff, right? The power's over here, but practical and power don't go together. That's, that's the wrong economy. See, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, God's power, if his presence is with us, his power is with us. And so when we're serving others, we, just, we should just assume that the presence and the power of God are with us, and at any given moment, He may want to do something. We don't just focus on the good deeds we're doing, we focus on what God wants to do. I asked John um, if he would come up uh, today. Uh, John leads a team that, that goes once a month to uh, the farmer's market here in town. John, you want to come up? And um, they just put up a booth, and they offer prayer, and um, you know, conversation, and people come and talk, and, um, but every now and then, something happens.
1: Yeah, something happens. So our last one was uh, a Thursday or two ago, and uh, again, and the reason we do it, I would probably try to do it every week. But it's free for us to do it once a month, and that's where we're at right now. But it is amazing to have the opportunity. And it's not, so we have the booth set up and some volunteers that come out. And we had a sign-up last time that just said, uh, Two-Minute Prayer, Free Two-Minute Prayer, and Jesus Loves the cow, And then we had a big banner in the back to tell people who we were, Vineyard Church. (sighs) And we, had a lumber, we only got a chance to really pray for, uh, for a mother-daughter and for another gentleman that actually let us take time out to really focus in on praying for them. But we had a number of really interesting conversations. God's power was definitely demonstrated in one gentleman who had really bad back pain. He said uh, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the worst pain in his life, his back that morning while he was there with us was at a six. And we said, well, we're going to pray and ask God to take that pain away. And at the end of our prayer time together, he said that pain had gone down. Went down some, we prayed some more, It went down further. Went down to about a two, and we stopped. We went over our two minutes, had a good conversation. But man, he was touched by the Holy Spirit. The power of God was just so uh, prominently evident to everybody in that booth area as he's sitting in a chair getting prayer. Uh, so much so that it almost knocked us over. But um, th- the real power is demonstrated in, in as he got up and as he left. Uh, and he lives in Florida and he's going to go check out a video church that's in, uh, in his town down there. So there's another outflowing of the, par- of the power of the Holy Spirit. A couple hours later, a mother and daughter come in and they read our sign and they agreed... Not begrudgingly, but they were wondering. Yeah, I guess. I would. I. I am. I'm so stressed lately. The mom says, "I would love prayer." And, and we go, "Sure, we'll pray for that." What particular is stressing you? And it's, it's my daughter. She is just really fighting every single thing about me. She's just being, um, and it's been like this for days now. And uh, to make a long story short, we prayed. God showed up. Mom's crying. Daughter's crying. Daughter's. Sorry and hugging and kissing mom. Um, A relationship was restored. And God's power went out because we went to sit out in a booth for four hours on a Thursday afternoon. We're doing it again in a couple of weeks. Put the 18th on uh, your calendar. We'd love to have more people come out and pray. Um, Next Sunday, if it's time, I'll, I'll take a half an hour or so afterwards. We can train you up a little bit. You can meet me here after church next Sunday. If you've never done prayer ministry before, we'll do a crash course in administrating the power of the Holy Spirit to people.
0: I asked asked John to come up because... We're not the only church that goes to the farmer's market. There's a couple others that pop in every now and then, and they usually have stuff. They have water, they have trinkets, they have stuff. And when you go to these farmer's markets, you have farmers, surprisingly, not as many as you would think. There are farmers there that sell produce. You have food trucks, and then you have businesses that give away their trinkets. And so people go to these with the expectation that maybe they're going to buy some produce, or maybe they're going to get a taco from the taco truck, or maybe they'll pick up trinkets. People love trinkets. They don't come expecting to meet God. There's absolutely no expectation that they're going to meet God. They're going for trinkets. And so when you're serving people, they have no expectation that you're going to meet God. But God's there. God's there. That that couple, that couple didn't go to the farmer's market because they thought you know, we really need something to help with our relationship. The mother and daughter didn't think that. Like, you know what, if we go to our farmer's market, somehow our relationship will be affected and healed. Probably what happened was the mom said, we're going to the farmer's market, and the daughter said, I don't want to go to the farmer's market. And then the mom said something like, there's tacos at the farmer's market, and the daughter begrudgingly went with. That would be my guess. Life would be in my house. And so they went. And God was there. See, when we serve our neighbors, we should be prepared for God to come and interrupt what we're doing. And there's one great way to leave space for Him to do this. It's simply by asking, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? When we do that, we invite the Holy Spirit into what we're doing. I'm on the AYSO board. I'd love to tell you a miracle happened. It didn't. But I'm on the AYSO board, and they have their board meeting here. Uh, I think the reason they have me on their board is because I have a room, and it works out nicely. But we have a meeting once a month down here. And I opened up the church and set up the table downstairs. And the first person came in. I don't think he's a believer and he didn't look good, and I go, well, what's wrong? He goes, I got this migraine, and da-da-da-da. And so I did what all good pastors do. I started on the scientific. Do you take anything? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want some coffee? Caffeine helps me with that ache. No, no, Sleep much? No, no, am no, no, I went five minutes trying to avoid being a pastor. I did my best. The room still empty, and I looked at him, and I said can I pray for you? And he goes, yeah, whatever you want to do that. And I go, no, 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 no. Can I pray for you? Like, you know, now? See if God will do something with your headache? And he kind of looked at me like I was weird, but then he thought, okay, it's his church. He's a pastor. I guess pastors do weird things like this. And I, I did like a two-minute prayer and the headache didn't go away. I'd love to tell you that God showed up, that his headache went away, that he turned his life to Christ, that before everyone got up here, I set the baptismal up, I dunked him, and now he's Serving somewhere, but it didn't happen. But how easy is that? How easy is it when you're helping your neighbor fix his car to say, hey, can you pray for anything? Can I pray for you? Open up that space to see what God wants to do. See, Here's the thing. We think that this is where the Holy Spirit kind of comes in, but the Holy Spirit's been with us this whole journey. We asked for three people. Remember what I told you? I believe the Holy Spirit put those three people on your heart to pray for. And when you sit and you listen to their conversations, what did I tell you? That the Lord was softening your heart so that you could see them the way He sees them? When we sit and eat with people, we're inviting the Lord into that presence. And this is the place where God may want to move. And I guarantee you, if you've done all the other things, when you say, can I pray for you? They're going to say okay. Even if they don't believe in Jesus. Even if they don't believe in God. Because you've earned so much equity with them that they'll go, yeah, if you want to pray for me, fine. And that's when God tends to do His biggest stuff. Five simple words. And when the Holy Spirit comes, amazing things happen. And so will something else. Notice how this ends. Verse 36. Jesus commands them not to tell anyone. I don't know why He does that because it never works. But the more He did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. We talk about wanting to see revival. That that conversation comes up. We want to see God move. We want to see His kingdom come. We want to see people get saved. We want to see signs and wonders. We want to see all of that stuff. But that's how it all starts. It doesn't start by some big boom. It starts by something small. Can I pray for you? It all starts because we're willing to serve.